We're in Mark chapter 14, verses 17 through 21. Uh, we are uh, going through this. Uh, it's it's a, the Last Supper. Jesus comes in. Uh, the disciples get the, the meal ready. They had the places set up. We talked about that last week. Uh, Mark is focused on two things. It's going to be the betrayal and then the Last Supper itself. Tonight we're going to spend basically talking about the betrayal or the conversation at the Last Supper. I'll read through this uh, beginning in chapter 14. Again, last week we talked about them coming from Bethany and, uh, and getting the place set up. Uh, and now in chapter, well, let's go ahead and verse 14, verse 12. On the first day of the, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, he's going to be the, the main member, the host of the, the meal, and his disciples are going to get it ready. This is Thursday, uh, Nissan 14. The day changes when the sun goes down. It's still going to be our Thursday, but we'll be going from the 14th to the 15th when the sun goes down. And they've got to eat the meal after sundown, but before midnight. Uh, and they're going to get a place prepared. Uh, so he sent two of his disciples, and we know that's Peter and John from other Gospels, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, stay, say to the owner of the house, uh, he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now again, notice, he's making the, pre- uh, he says, where is my guest room where I can eat with my disciples? So he's going to be the one that's kind of hosting the party or the meal, the Passover. Uh, And again, we talked about this being somewhere near a water gate, most likely the Pool of Siloam, most likely going up into the the priestly quarters, the rich quarter of the city. Uh, John Mark's house is the best guest. Uh, It doesn't say it specifically. Uh, He'll show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. Now, the room is going to be all laid out. Uh, In fact, the word means rolled out. The rugs are rolled out. The disciples are going to be getting the meal ready, the lamb, the meal, the sauces, the bread. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. So that's the two of them preparing it. The rest of them are probably in Bethany, and they're going to make the journey. Now, Peter and John are going to go back to Bethany, which, again, if we look right here, the meal would be over in this area of the city. They're going to come back up the Mount of Olives and come over here to Bethany on the other side, and then they'll go back down into the city uh, for the meal. And now we begin verse 17, the new material for this evening. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, we'll make, talk about this some more in more detail. But imagine, you know, they all leave together. They're all going for the, the Passover meal. They're a tight group. They've been through three years of ministry together. They sit down and have this meal together. They've got it all prepared. And Jesus starts the meal by saying, well, okay, one of you is going to betray me. It's like, and we'll talk about that more deal. But it's like, that's like a, I mean, you ever been to the family meal? A family, you know, everybody gets together after so many years. It's a, a special holiday. And everybody says, that, and you know that one person's going to say something awkward at the table. It's like, come on, can we just skip that this year? Well, Jesus is that guy tonight. Everybody sits around, everybody's having a good time, getting ready for our, our Passover, very serious. Well, I'm glad we got you all here. One of you going to stab me in the back tonight. It's like, whoa, why do you bring that up again? Well, 
Jesus just does. So it's kind of like that awkward social moment. Jesus starts the meal off with it. Uh, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they asked him, surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied. Now there's going to be four clues that we're going to see as we go through this. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And we'll talk about that sentence. There's a little a contrast right there. Uh, it's going to happen just like it's written. Listen, guys, nothing's out of control here. It's just like it's written. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to my death just like it's written. I mean, we go through the verses, Isaiah 53, uh, Psalm 22, Genesis chapter. I mean, we just go, Zechariah, it talks about the shepherd being slain and the sheep being scattered. Just one right after the other. It, it, guys, there's nothing you do to avoid this. Then he says, but... Then he goes back to the human responsibility. Woe to the man that gets caught up in this prophecy. Meaning, I, I'm going to my death. And it's going to happen something like this. And someone's got to do it. And one of you is going to make, a, in a sense, a free will decision to step into that prophecy and fulfill it. So you're going to have a look at that verse a little bit. There's that contrast. It, it's, it's written. It's, it's going to be done. But one of you is going to do it. Uh, while they're eating, Jesus took the bread. and that, So that's the first part we'll talk about tonight. The second part comes up now. While they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Uh, and then we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, the actual institution of what we call the Last Supper or uh, the, the meal for the New Covenant. It's the Passover meal, recognizing them leaving Egypt. But he's going to change it right here. He, Jesus is going to change the Passover meal into the new covenant, celebration of the new covenant. Now that, that's not undermining the fact that the Old Testament was true and there was a Passover meal. But it's right here. Jesus is at the Passover meal saying, okay, we're going to be doing something new. This is now going to represent not the lamb coming out of Egypt. We're going to have now my body and my blood of the new covenant where you're going to have fellowship with God, where you're going to, like Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about, you'll be given a new heart, uh, and the laws will not be written on stone, but they'll be written on your heart. Okay, in the notes, here we go. Chapter 14, verse 17 through 21. It says, And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And again, just very, it's, this is all Thursday, and it, it's the 14th of Nisan, the 15th. It's going to be at sunset. So, the sun has set, this day is over, it's still Thursday, but the new day begins, so now it's on the 15th, and they've got until midnight now to eat this meal. And that's what I point out, point one, point two, the meal had to be eaten after sunset, be, be done before midnight. Now, what's interesting, just to point out, point three, the meal was to be eaten according to Exodus 12, 11. This is, it. this is the way it was to be eaten. The, the law says, this is how you are to eat it, the Passover meal. The Jews that celebrate this, with your cloak tucked into your belt, again, they would have their, their coat hanging down. When they're ready to move, they would pick it up and tuck it in, gird your, your loins. they tuck in their coat. Uh, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, meaning you know, in a hurry, it is the Lord's Passover. So because they're leaving Egypt at night, 
You've got to leave in a hurry. Pharaoh's going to say, get out. You've got to eat quick and go. There's no time for the yeast to rise and the bread. Just get out and go. So that is the way it was supposed to be eaten. Now, by this time, this is important for otherwise, if you're paying attention to the scriptures, like, what, well, they're celebrating the Passover feast. They're all leaning. They're laying down. They're going to be reclining on their left side. Like if this was, this table's probably slightly too high. Uh, you can imagine if you're leaning on your left arm, you'd be, your feet would be coming out from the table. You'd be leaning against on your left table or left arm, eating with your, your right hand. You'd be eating off the table. And it's like, you know, what I can relate it to would be dipping bread in oil. Like you go to a restaurant, they bring you a little cup of oil and some fresh bread, you dip it in there. That's how they're eating it. But it's not oil. It's going to be some kind of a bitter sauce, like herbs and things that they would dip in, and they would dip the bread. They're using the bread as like a utensil. And just like at a restaurant, you don't know, well, Tony and I do, we, can, we have two different bowls because we're like just slopping the stuff in our mouths. But if you're in a public setting and you're doing it decently, you'd have one bowl and you'd dip some bread in there and you'd eat it and someone else would dip some bread in there. Now, you're not going to double dip, of course, but you'd dip the, it in there. And so you'd be sharing, you'd be sharing. There'd be several bowls sitting on the table, especially with 13 guys sitting around the table or leaning on their, right, their left shoulder or their left elbow, their left arm, reaching over, dipping the bread in the, in the sauce and eating it, and maybe rolling some meat in the bread while they're eating. They're using the bread as the utensil, uh, and that's how, how they're eating. Now, again, that's how they're going to be eating. So they've gone from uh, standing up and in haste, and these guys aren't going to be in any, any hurry. It's going to be late at night when they leave. They're going to sing a song. They're going to have conversation. They're going to eat the meal, and then they're going to go out later. So they're not eating it in haste. They're not eating it standing up. They don't have their shoes on. You know, Jesus is going to wash their feet. So they're barefoot. They're laying down or leaning down, reclining, and they're going to be eating it slow. In, in a, so the custom has kind of changed in that sense. So just understand, that's just an understood fact. They're, they, because of the culture, because of now it's like a, a it's been, well, 1,400 years, it's more of a memorial f- feast for what they remember and they're not eating it like they are, they're told to in that sense i don't consider that a violation but do take a note of that because some people if they caught that would attack the the validity of this and that's in point three point four uh more detail of this evening is provided in matthew 26 luke 22 john 13 we're not going to go there and read those although we will be referring uh, some to extensively to a little bit of john chapter 13 to kind of set the table here or the place settings um so some Matthew or Mark is concerned about, like I said, the two basic things is the betrayal, and that's what we're talking about tonight, the betrayal of Jesus and then going to be the new covenant uh, meal that, that Jesus, my, this is my body, this is my blood. These are the two things that Mark is focused on. If you read Matthew, Luke, and John, you're going to get, well, more details. You're going to have more conversation. You're going to get the feet washed. Uh, right after Judas leaves, after this, you know, the betrayer is identified and he goes into action, Jesus then stands up from the meal in the book of John and begins to wash people, goes around the table and starts washing their feet because everybody had come in. Again, now, we could do some speculation here. Nobody washed anybody's feet, and that was part of the servant's job. Now, are there servants in this house? There, you know, there are servants in this house, because if it's John Mark's house, there would be servants. Apparently, there's no servants attending the table. Who's attending the table? 
John and Peter were the ones that did the preparation of the food. But no one took the initiative to take the role of the servant washing the feet. Again, we don't know why there's no servant. Maybe Jesus is just renting the room. Maybe he made arrangements. Maybe, again, like we talked last week, this could be just preordained that God, you know, the, the people just knew all these things in place. Probably Jesus arranged it. Maybe Judas helped set it up or somebody, one of his key officers. Uh, Peter and John, of course, got the meal ready, but there's no servant at the door washing people's feet as they come in on these rugs. I mean, some of you even take your shoes off when you come in our house. I never take my shoes off. Uh, Even Tyler takes his shoes off when he comes in our house, which, you know, it's like, thank you, Tyler. But uh, in my world, I don't take my shoes off. In fact, Tony's got to remind me if I come to your house, make sure you take your shoes off because I just come walking in. Uh, but these people would, because the streets are different, you know, they're walking in, in sometimes animal waste and stuff because there's animals in the streets. It, it's a dirty climate. And so they come in, they take their shoes off or their sandals off. These guys have come in, but no one washed anybody's feet. They just came in, sat down at the table, uh, apparently. Because once this is taken care of, tonight's ver- these verses are taken care of, you go to John, after Judas leaves, Jesus stands up, puts a towel around his waist, dresses himself like again he's the host he's the one who's the the got the seat of honor at this table he puts a towel around himself and goes around and starts washing everybody's feet now judas is gone so judas doesn't get his feet washed but jesus is doing that work so that's something that's going to be covered later uh some other things uh the disciples are going to argue about who's the greatest during the meal uh jesus high priestly prayer in john he's going to pray and have some conversation and do some teaching and there's going to be some conversation that's left out john or mark is me focus on the betrayal we're talking about tonight and then the new covenant is going to be instituted um and that's point five now it says and when the evening came he when it was evening he came with the 12 verse 18 and as they were reclining at the table eating all of a sudden they're just now they're suddenly at the table they're reclining at the table and jesus said Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Now, again, he's talking to the twelve. Now, these are the twelve disciples. He has chosen these twelve. He's trained these twelve. They've gone alone by themselves, uh, had, had alone time, if you want to say that. Some of it's been in, you know, professional training. Some of it's been personal you know, interaction. Uh, he's got guys that they've all had some kind of you know special interaction. You got Peter, James, and John that have gone with him several times. Judas is not just you know the loser; he is in charge of the finances, the money bag. He's a, a close friend. In fact, when we get into there, he's got he is seated at the left of Jesus, which whoever sits at the left of the host is in the seat of honor. They're usually. It, you would be like chosen to sit there. Now, we don't know if Jesus said, Judas, come sit by me. Or if wherever they in a setting like this, you know, they're at, at the Pharisee's house or someone's house, Judas always sat there because he's Jesus, you know, right-hand man sitting to his left, but he'd be the right hand. He's got the money bag. And so Judas and Jesus have had some uh, serious interactions together i mean he's not just like disciple number 12 i'm going to sacrifice that one it's the run of the litter this guy's possibly when jesus dies judas takes over i mean you know that it, it could be that setting uh you think of john but john is the youngest he he's he's james's younger brother 
and he's the youngest of the disciples. He's with Jesus, but he's usually in a, in a, in a training position, kind of like watching, observing with Peter and, and John, uh, Peter and James, his older brother. Peter, of course, is, we know all about Peter. He's the spokesperson for the group. Judas maybe is not the, the one who's talking all the time. He may be doing the thinking. He may be making plans. But Peter's the one who's always doing the talking. He's the one who's kind of like the spokesperson for the group. Like if they're going to have a little complaint, they're going to talk about it, and Peter's going to bring it to Jesus. Uh, Judas is clearly a, a planner because he's already got a plan in play tonight before they sit down. So that's that setting. So the 12 are there. They're close. They've all come in. They've worked together. They've done, gone two by two off into ministry. They've seen some. These are not just like 12 guys that work together. They've gone off and had the power of God manifest. I mean, if it be healing, if it be crowds coming to them, if they're, if they're seeing Peter walk on water or Jesus walk to them on the water, they, they've seen things that are unbelievable except the fact that they saw them they knew it happened and they probably have done some miracles themselves as is recorded and so this 12 is an interesting group they're a tight group and so when they sit down at this table and jesus says to them once again truly and when he says truly that is we could go into the greek uh but it's that statement of this is a statement of fact this is a a point of doctrine this is an unchangeable jesus isn't going to lie so when does jesus have to say truly i'm not lying this time but when he says truly that's like an emphasis on one who never lies who's always telling truth truly you won't believe this but this is a point of doctrine i say to you i'm telling you this truth one of you will betray me one of you who is eating with me. Now begins the clues. One of you, one of you is the 12. One of you who is eating with me. Now that's, they're all 12 are eating with him. But eating, uh, and I've got the verse written down there somewhere. Uh, yeah, Psalm 41.9. I've got it at the bottom of page one. Psalm 41.9 is, is a reference to this betrayal. It's David talking about probably Ahithophel, his consular, betraying him uh, during Absalom's revolt, and that was his very close consular. It's a long story. One of the backstory of it, it it's Bathsheba's grandfather, uh, but who was David's consular, a close friend of his. They shared bread together, but when Absalom revolts, Ahithophel sees the political climate and realizes it's time for a change in the politics, and David's on his way out. Absalom's a rising star. He betrays David, sides with Absalom, and gives Absalom some counsel on how to move his dad out of power. Uh, and that was when David writes in Psalm 41.9, Even my close friend in whom I trust, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And so when Jesus says, truly I say to you, one of you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me, uh, two things are happening here. One, he's referring to a, a scripture that predicted this was going to happen. We go through Psalms and find other places where it, it, it seems like a friend is betraying David or a friend is betraying uh, the Messiah. And it's in many cases, it's Judas who's a very close friend, a companion of Jesus. So this is part of the prophecy. But also, in this culture that they live in, 
is if you would get as close to someone that you could eat a meal with them. And when it says bread, uh, in fact, this is one of Tyler's and my Hebrew words today was, uh, was bread. And so I got to talk to him about, uh, it's la, la, ma, la, maha, la, la, ham. Yeah, la, ham, la, ham. Okay, you don't care, but <laughs> ma, now this is me, ma, ham. Okay, now that is bread. If you want to say the house of bread, you, you'd put something like, like the house of uh, 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 Beth Shemesh, the house of the sun. Beth Maham uh, is the house of bread. And this right here is uh, Lahim. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I did a mistake there. El, Laham, Beth Laham. And that's Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Anyway, we, got, we started talking about that. Anyway, the word lahem or bread, when this is used, it means food or bread. And bread itself refers to food. Like when we say bread, I think of bread. What are we going to eat? We're going to eat bread. We're going to break bread. It's like, in, I mean, that's all we're having is bread. Are we going to have some meat, potatoes, vegetables, you know, fruit? Uh, but when they say bread, that means a meal. That means the whole thing. And so if you were to eat with someone, break bread with someone, that was basically a treaty. That was basically uh, you're in their confidence. If, if you eat with someone, you're basically, tr- you trust them that they're, they're never going to betray you. And so here Jesus is sitting down, and again, not so much in our culture because you have business meetings. You, have, you, know, you meet for business. You know, this, this salesman is going to take this person out for a dinner, and uh, it's all business. You understand they're, they're trying to manipulate the situation. In our culture, you meet for a meal uh, to negotiate or manipulate someone. I'd like to show you a new opportunity. I'll meet you for dinner, and we'll have a, it's like, Oh, wait, you're here to manipulate me. That, that's not what they, they did not eat to manipulate each other. They only ate together if they were trusting each other. And if you broke bread with someone or ate bread, it was kind of like, uh, we're friends. I can't, I can't say that. I can't do that. I, I, I've, I've got to tell them the truth. So one, who, one of the 12, one who is eating with me, goes two directions. One, it's prophecy, but also one who has entered into my confidence, who I totally trust that we have got a relationship. That is the person who's going to betray me. And so that is what's being said there. Point two, uh, Mark uses the words, one who is eating with me, quoting Psalm 41. Uh, and point A, to eat with someone was, and betray them would be considered the worst of treachery. It would be like saying, oh, you can trust me, and then going off and actually betraying them. And that's what Judas is doing here. He's already got the plan. He's already gone and says, I'll, I'll betray him for a, a price. And now he's going to sit down and eat and, in a sense, fulfill this prophecy. It's like Jesus is saying, I can't believe in our culture that you're, you've got plans of betraying me and you actually showed up for tonight's meal. What are you thinking? In fact, Jesus is going to get rid of him. And uh, point three on page two, out of nowhere, Jesus hits the group with an accusation. And it is, it's an accusation. One of you is going to betray me. It's like, now when they've learned Jesus, when he says something like that, they go, how can he know that? 
that Jesus knows a lot of things because by this time they're figuring out that they're understanding he's God. He's a man, but he's also God, the Emmanuel, the incarnate God. Chapter 14, verse 19. When they heard this, they began to be sorrowful and to say to him with one after another, is it I? Now, the word sorrowful is a word, lupel from lupel. It means to be distressed, to grieve. Uh, they know that one of them is a traitor. They're, they're, they're sorry. It's like, oh my gosh, one of us, and they're not going to say, Jesus, that's not true. That's not true. They know it's true. They know one of us in the room is going to stab Jesus in the back. Now, that's Julius Caesar, not literally going to stab him. But the idea is what I was saying we've got is you stab someone in the back. They didn't see it coming. But Jesus, of course, sees it coming. Uh, it's prophesied. Uh, but one of us, one looking around like, who, who would do that? Now they're not all looking at Judas. They're, I mean, you know, in our world, one of them is going to be saying, "Ah, it's this guy." And he's probably kind of, if he's in a painting, he's painted kind of, you know, suspicious. He's probably got like horns coming out somewhere. It's like, ah, I can pick him out of the painting. Judas is not their first go-to. Uh, guys that are a little more unstable, like you know, Peter would probably be a good option of you know someone that would betray Jesus. And it, it goes on. Now remember, this is Mark writing, and it's Peter's account. Um, and so, uh, see right there, they're sorrowful. Uh, it says, one by one, including Judas, according to Matthew 26, 25. See, we don't see it here. It doesn't tell us. But in Matthew 26, 25, Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? See, Mark says they say, surely not I. And we're going to look at that statement in the Greek in a moment. In Matthew, it says, is it I, Rabbi? He answered er, and said to him, you have said so. In Matthew, uh, 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 Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus responds, you have said so. Uh, Jesus' response to Judas was most likely a private meaning. Uh, Judas was sitting next to him, and, and we're going to see here. So that, that statement, when, when Judas asked him, they're close enough that it doesn't have to be a public uh, statement. Remember, you got 12 guys sitting around a table. It's not a class setting. It's not Jesus is not instructing. Uh, he does make this announcement, but there's going to be conversations going around. You, you, you know, think of you know Thanksgiving meal. Think of any kind you got. Think of 13 you know bros hanging out at a, a religious feast, and they're all. I mean, everyone's talking. You'd assume. Uh, now, point two, the f- phrase, is it I? In the Greek, it is mete ego. Mete ego, ego is the, uh, uh, it means it's a pronoun, it means I. Mete, point B is important here. Uh, and I've got it in a box, right? There's, you can see it in the Greek. Mete ego, surely not. Mete is translated surely not here in the translation. And then I, surely not I. And the ideal here, mete is an inter. interrogative particle expecting a negative answer in a sense it's a rhetorical uh, answer to can this be meaning i would say can this be and you'd say no that's not going to happen they make a make a some kind of a statement do you think you know name a team that hasn't won any games this year you think they're going to win it's like and I expect, you think they're going to win? And I expect you to say no, and then give me a reason why it's not going to win, and we continue on. And so they're, they're making that statement, surely not I. They're saying surely not because, okay, one of the 12, okay, I, okay that's hard to believe. I'm shocked one of us is going to betray you. But, okay, 
sure it's not me. Okay, right, we know, we know it's not me. Like, one of us is going to, yeah, I'm trying to think of something off the top of my head, and I would say, one of us is going to do this, but surely it's not going to be me. I mean, it's not me. It's, it's going to be one of you. And that's, how they're, that's what they're saying. Surely not I. Okay, Jesus, it's not me. How can I help you? And so uh, the, the answer they're expecting, of course, would be no. Uh, ego is the first person pronoun, and it is only expressed when it is emphatic. So when it says, surely not I, surely not, surely not me. And so I got three ways this could be translated. Uh, I've got, it from, you got two of them from different sources, one I put together myself. Uh, and you can tell the first one's the one I did. Me, it is surely isn't me, right? Me? Surely it isn't me, right? And that are expecting you to say, no, not you, not you. And they're all saying that. Uh, or I got these two out of books. It is not I, is it? And meaning the not is em- emphasized. And surely you do not mean me. Surely you don't mean me. So who is it? So, okay, surely it's not me. So tell me, who are we trying to protect you from? Which one is it? The disciples are not questioning their own behavior. See, I've taught this before. Every one of them is like, Oh, because you read it in the English, was it I? I think it's like you're looking. Around, Am I going to do it? Oh no! I hope it's not me. I hope it's not me. That's not the way it's it's written in the Greek. You understand what I'm saying? It's not like they're all doubting themselves. Hey, you know, I've been thinking about something like that. I'm not going to do it. It's like they're all none of them are thinking. It's like it's not me. So how can we get through this? So they're 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 not, they're not thinking it's them. They're but they're asking Jesus to reaffirm what they knew to be true. It's not me, right? No, it's not you. Don't worry about it. it. It's that guy. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And that's not what he's saying. Now, Jesus gives three. I wrote three, and then I remembered a fourth one, and I wrote it in there, so I forgot to change three to four. Clues as to identity. One, it's one of the 12. He's already said that. They're eating right there, eating with them, and that is more about they're violating a principle of integrity. If you don't eat with someone, you're going to betray. I mean, what kind of person does that? And then, of course, it's prophecy out of Psalm. The third one is going to be, uh, he's going to say here in a little bit, one who dips bread in the same bowl as Jesus. He says, it is one who dips bread in the same bowl. It's two different things. Same bowl. Now, you, you, you say, well, he's already said that. It's one who's eating with me. Right, but there's 13 people eating at this table, and there's not one bowl. There's a bowl, I mean, I don't know, let's say there's 13 people, there's, there's five bowls. We can, I'll show you a map here in a minute of the table, you can draw bowls on it if you want to. But it's the same bowl, so when Tony and I sit down at a table, they bring us one bowl, and then we share it. But if we had, all of us were at the same table, they'd bring, you know, four or five bowls, and me and Tony would share the bowl. It is one who's sharing the bowl with me, which means it's someone sitting close to me. So, it's one of the 12, they're eating, breaking social standard, fulfilling prophecy, and it's the same bowl, meaning they're within arm's reach. And then finally, we're not going to see it in this book, but in John 13, 26, Jesus tells John, because we'll go, we're going here next, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped it, so right here, John asked him, 
uh, who is it? And Jesus says, well, watch this. It's the one I give this bread to. Here you go, Jesus. I got this for you. Have you tried this one? Have you tried this bowl? Right there. And he hands it to Judas. So now right there, it's to the one I hand. Now you know where Judas is sitting. It's not like, it's the one I hand this to. Hey, Judas. And flips it across the table. I mean, that's not what's happening. He says, John, and John asks him a question, like privately asks him a question. So John is sitting here. John leans back and asks Jesus a question. And Jesus says, well, it's the one I give this bread to. And so uh, he gave the bread. So those are right there. You can see, and that's, that's not going to come out in Mark. Mark is not giving us that information. But it does help us understand because what I'm going to show you next uh, and point four, Scripture is being fulfilled as Judas makes his human plans. Judas making human plans with human intentions and prophecies being, it's, it's, it's been written down since from eternity. This is what's going to take place. Meanwhile, Judas gets into the scene. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I mean, it's like, it's almost like this prophecy is written. Again, now this is me just, you know, making a statement. It's not, I'm not making a point of doctrine. But this prophecy is there, and we don't know who's going to step in and fulfill it. Is God going to like select someone and say, you've got to do this? You know, you want to go, you have to do this. Or is it, here's the prophecy, and of the 12, it's like someone's going to start thinking and you're going to just fulfill this prophecy. Which is kind of like a warning, you know, for, for, for me, I took it as a warning as I was thinking about it, is God is doing certain things and there are certain things that are, are, are to come to pass. It's like, Surely, I'm not going to be the one that does that. You know, like, there'll be false teachers among you. Well, it's not me. Well, it's prophesied there will be false teachers. It's like, oh, I could, I could fulfill that role. I could become a, oh, you know. And so it's like, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that. But the prophecy, you know, the, now, again, if God has selected me to be the false, you know, false prophet or something or false teacher, you know, I, I, I hate to go down that road. But I hope I can avoid that. If nothing else, just shut that, delete the website and stop having Bible class. It's like there. Okay, now page 14, or page 3, chapter 14, verse 20. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. All right. So those are one, two, three. Now, here comes more than what you want to know. But you're going to know it. Here's the round table. I do not have, now again, we, we, we've got the picture. Who painted the picture of the, the Last Supper? Is that Michelangelo, Leonardo? Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Pablo, pa- Pasqua, Pasqua. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the table, and you're going to have 13 people on their left arm dipping, and they're going to be bowls. Let's put bowls on the table. Again, that is not biblically accurate, but those are bowls on the table. And here is going to be, uh, we're going to put Jesus here. Now, Jesus is the guest of honor. He's the host, not the guest of honor. He's the host. So he's, wherever he sits, whoever sits here is going to be a guest. He's going to be an honored seat right here. Because if I, and again, I don't want to keep using Tony as an example, but she's the only friend I've got. But uh, if, if I am going to have somebody sit here, and again, I'm, I'm leaning like this, I'm going to want to lean back and talk to this person. All you got to do is, 
it is lean like this to turn and, and lean and we can we can have a private conversation they can lean in and we can have a private conversation while all this football talk and all this stuff about the stock market and what's going on in politics is going on you know jesus and judas can have a conversation so whoever sits there has got jesus undivided attention at any moment if jesus wants to say something have a conversation he wants to talk about the football game He's going to talk to you. Did you see? Did you see? Uh, and, and whatever they're going to talk about, whatever they're going to talk about. And we don't know how Judas ends up here. Did Jesus have Peter and John put place settings, you know, or name tags? Uh, does Jesus always have Judas sit there? I mean, th- that could be. Or does Judas assume that's his place? It seems like it's a fairly comfortable place uh, for Judas to be. We're going to know from the book of john that john is sitting right here now you weren't expecting to get a place by place play by play seating of the of the last supper here but john is here because he's going to be the one he says the one in his book he says the beloved one or the one loved by jesus and it says talks about it says as a kid you read it he was leaning against jesus bosom it's like what is going on at this meal he's like jesus cuddled up they're all laying around it's like well they're there he's sitting on his arm and he leans back and he's leaning you know against him or you know talking to him like that they're not they're not cuddling okay now again they're close uh now during this whole conversation we're going to see Peter's going to have John's undivided attention. He's not going to be leaning against John or close to him, but he's going to be in a position where he's going to make a motion and get John's attention. He's going to be ask him a question, a private question, and the question is going to be, ask him who it is. I mean, it's, it's not me. It's not you. It's you? No, it's not me. Ask him, who is it? I will stab him. Get rid of him. So Peter says, ask him. So John leans back and asks Jesus, and Jesus says, it's the one I give this bread to, and throws it over here to Thomas. Well, no. It's like, hey, ask him. John leans who is it? It's the one I give the bread to. Judas, have you tried this sauce? And hands Judas the sauce. So right there. There you know where they're, I mean, they're seating like this. And now, Peter, James, and John are always together. Now, these two guys did the meal. The room was all laid out for him, but these guys got the meal ready. Peter, James, and John, if Judas is here, and he's got the money bag, which means Jesus, trust him, they're friends. John is, you know, Jesus, you know, the young guy that Jesus is training. James is his brother, Peter, James, John. It doesn't, we have no clue. We have no clue but speculation. James is sitting there. So you've got Peter, James, and John, the three together. They all are three together. Then you're going to have disciple, 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 disciple. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, uh, eleven, twelve, whatever. And now, if you turn the page, here you've got the key, answer key, right there. And that's that's again. This is this is solid right there. How they're how they're seated right there. Now I'm going to read this to you. And then we're going to go back to the page. This is out of, you could go to John and read it if you wanted to, but I've got it written here for you. And just see how this makes sense now. This is from John 13, verses 23 through 30. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that's John never calls himself John in the book. He's called himself the beloved disciple or the disciple Jesus loved. 
was reclining at Jesus' side. Okay? Now, if you don't like this arrangement, feel free to make your own map. I, this is not like a biblical correct, you know, that I got a photograph. We got whoever's Leonardo's, but we, whatever. Okay. And clearly they were wrong. And you know the joke? I said that joke last week, right? Leonardo's painting. Is that who it was, Leonardo? Yeah. The last, what, was, what, what did Jesus say right before that picture? Everyone get on this side of the table for the picture. Everybody came over here and sat in a wooden table, you know, flat picnic table. Like, okay, sorry. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Again, now if you want to put Peter over here and motioned, you could do that. But then he's going to talk to him, and it's a private conversation. So it's not like, hey, John, ask Jesus who it is. Well, hey, Peter, why don't you do it since you're shouting? You know, so it's got to be, hey, ask him. So he asked him. You can't just holler to John to ask Jesus. You got to be like, okay. And who cares? But I do. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, Shouting across the table. No, answers John, who is asking. They're just talking to each other. They're like this far apart. Uh, Jesus answered, it is, the, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And they're all dipping bread in these bowls, the sauce, maybe putting meat in them when they get them dipped. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Again, he gives it, again, it's got to be close. It can't be like, and so he flipped it over to Judas. He, you know, it had to be like, hey, would you hand this down to Judas? He just dips it and hands it to Judas, which, of course, is amazing because it's his right-hand man. It's the guy that's in the seat of honor. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he, he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, which was almost, I mean, again, and Satan entered into him. Again, this is off the record, but it's right there. He says, one of you 12 is going to betray me. One of you who eats bread with me. You get that? Someone who eats bread. I mean, we've got a covenant. We've got a, friend, a treaty of friendship. And, and they're going to betray me. And everyone's asking, well, surely it's not I. I know it's not me, right? It's not me, right? No, no, no. Judy says, it's not, it's not me. Well, every, oh, every, surely it's not me. And Jesus is like, well, bread? You're eating my bread with me? What are you going to do? It's kind of like, Lord, I have, I, I, I've been thinking, but I've talked to the priest. I'm not going to do it. But when he hands it to him, it's like, are you going to be the one that fulfills this prophecy? And he got to think, right, because right there, it makes a big deal about it. When he took the bread deal's done you just you're done you're in the prophecy At, up until that point he could have gone to the pre now listen peter's going to make some mistakes peter's going to deny him three times there's going to be a, a wide variety of opportunities for everyone you've got to meet every one of these disciples had to have disappointed jesus at some point where they're like judas right here has disappointed jesus he's gone to the high priest hey i'll i'll help you get him jesus hands the morsel of bread to him. Judas is like, listen, the guys, it's me. 
I, I don't want to do it. I, I want, I want, I want, let's put a stop to this. But he doesn't do that. He takes the bread, pops it in his mouth, deal's done. So I would guess on the human side, now again, when Judas is introduced in the beginning of the book of Mark, he's introduced when Jesus chooses him as the one who'll betray Jesus. Jesus knew he would betray him. But you've got two things happening here. We're going to see it in the next verse of the divine prophecy, like a train, it's going to happen. But you've also got woe to the man that does this. Now, this is going to happen. But just hope it's not you that does it. Judas, is it going to be you? No, it's not. I'm not going to do it. Or, okay, you're going to do it. Uh, so when they had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, which is interesting because all these plans have been made without Satan being in him. It was, he, he was maybe hearing the voice of Satan. He was maybe thinking evil thoughts. He maybe had some you know, different ideas. Whatever he was thinking, it was all human, maybe you know, manipulated by Satan. But now at this point, he was not satanically possessed the entire ministry. But at this point right now, it, the, it says Satan entered into him. And I would think that's a pretty serious condition. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. So this whole conversation, Peter motions to John, who is it? Ask him who it is. Jesus, who, who is it? It's the one I give the bread to. Judas, Jesus says, then now, now Jesus says to Judas, loud enough for everyone to hear, well, what you're going to do, let's get her done. And everyone heard that. Why did he say that to Judas? Judas gets up and leaves. And if we read the other gospel accounts, I'm not sure, we've got it, that doesn't say it in here. The, some thought that he was going to go give money to the poor. Because in that same verse, it talks about one who betrays me, it talks about I, I give money to the poor. I, I support the poor. And so, in the, and, and plus it was a Passover tradition, is you always, when you're eating, it's like, we got to remember the poor, and they go out and they give money. There is a big fundraising time for the religious groups and all the fundraisers. But Judas gets up and go, and no one thinks, ah, sure, there he goes, he's going to go betray Jesus. There's someone, is it me? It's not me. It's like, who is it? It could be that Thomas guy. I've never really trusted. But Judas, ah, where's he going? Oh, he must be going to go give money. He, Jesus and him, he'll never betray Jesus. Jesus trusts him with the money bag. And he's off and he goes. And so they don't hear Peter ask John. They don't hear John ask Jesus. They just hear Jesus after Judas takes it says, right here, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, oh, here it is, that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor they had two ideas oh we're running out of the sauce yeah yeah listen here hey you know go do take care of this okay i'll go get some more sauce or i'm going to go get money to the poor by way okay so after receiving the morsel of bread he immediately went out and then uh john writes and it was night obviously but now the sun had gone down we're into the night of the of the 15th judah in matthew 26 25 just so you see this judas who would betray him answered 
is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. So when they're saying, uh, it, surely it's, it's not me. It's not me, right? It's like when Judas says it, Jesus has said to him, you're the one that said it. And so there we have it. Now all these details, I'll go back to page three. I've written that all down right there. Jesus is the host, uh, the center of the table. Everyone is reclining and leaning on their left arm. John sat next to Jesus, and I give you the verse that we just read. Uh, Peter did not sit very far away from John. That's point three. The place to the left of the host was the place of honor. Uh, Judas is seated there. Again, maybe he always did. Maybe Jesus asked him to sit there. But remember, no one has washed their feet. Everyone just There's no one at the door to wash their feet. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have done it. They're all at the table with unwashed feet, ready to eat. Did they all rush in? Did Peter and James tell everybody where they're sitting? Did Judas rush in and get this place of honor? How do they know where Jesus is sitting? But anyway, when, when Judas leaves, if you go to the book of John, that's when Jesus stands up and puts on a towel and goes around and washes everybody's feet uh, while, they're, while they're eating, which is a very humbling experience for him because he invited them to the supper they're at his house and he's he's taking their shoes off for him um and that's point four uh point five uh and that's why i just guess james is there okay uh now we are on page and we got one more verse right here um chapter 14 verse 21 Jesus then says, For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And what we have right here is, again, first of all, uh, for the Son of Man goes as it is written about him. If you look in the Greek right there, uh, it says for, yeah, I mean, the, the, just the word-for-word word translations, for indeed and the word indeed is the word men or m e n and again i'm not sure how to pronounce the e it could be mean mine but you know we'll just say men and then there's going to be a de coming up here and both of those are in a, a box this men is translated here in the word for word as indeed and the de is translated however and that is whenever there's a men in a sentence there's going to be a de it's a, a clause well let's read this uh point two two words connect god's divine plan and human responsibility this is the the divine god this is it's written indeed it's written this is going to happen. Why? Indeed, it's been written. It's got to happen. However, even though it's written, however, this is now the human side of it. It's written, however, he could have avoided it, or I wish he could have avoided it, or however. Well, here it is. Indeed, the Son of Man goes as it has been written concerning him, and then Woe, however, to the man that by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Woe to this guy that made the choice to jump into the prophecy. 
it would be better, let me read it here, better for him it were if not had been born the man that. So this man that does this, it would be better if he had never been born than to be born and jump into the prophecy and fulfill it. It'd be better not to do this. And so what we see right there, the men of 2A, as is written above indeed, it is a word that shows concession to the situation or affirmation to the statement. So the situation is, it is written that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. We can see several places, in the, especially in the Psalms, he'll be betrayed. Stabbed in the back is our phrase of, way of saying it. It's concession. It's like indeed. It, it's it's got to happen. Jesus is born. He starts his ministry. Indeed. How's his end? He ends up being betrayed. It, it, it's a concession. If you're going to have Jesus come to the earth, if Jesus is going to be born in a manger, he's going to become a man, he's going to be betrayed. Yeah, well, can we get around that part? Mm, it's written. Indeed. It's, it's got to happen just like that. What could change? So, I mean, that, that indeed is a concession. It is an untranslatable part, particle, most often appearing in a sentence that is followed by de, de, which answers the men as the second of two clauses that contrast each other. There's this, you've got the divine. Indeed, it's got to happen. However, it would have been nice if uh, Judas would have uh, avoided that. So, it, it, are we talking about this is set, this is free will? Or are we talking about this is set and Judas can't do anything else? Well, this is set. I mean, I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, that would be a point of discussion. If you're on a, a Calvinistic reform website or Facebook page, you, you, it's already decided for you. Okay, you don't even, don't even question. But in the real world, uh, this is set. Scripture says this. But is Judas... Now, again, we can see in Acts where it says he was destined for this... Uh, does that mean he, he had no choice? Uh, I mean, however, it'd be better if he was not born. Uh, again, if you were going to be Calvinistic about it, you know, God controls it all and makes people do things, you can go that way. Or he just knows that there's human nature. Again, he knows ahead of, he knows beforehand what Judas is going to do before Judas does, but is he causing it? Again, that's, that's a discussion I don't like, I don't like that God causes people to do these things and then says, oh, you shouldn't have done it, then sends them to eternal damnation. It's kind of like, well, that's God being God. It's like, okay, I, okay, that may be true, but it's, it's outside of my brain. It's outside of my uh, way of, I cannot comprehend that. Well, you just got to take it by faith. Well, if that's what it's saying, I'll accept it, but I cannot understand how that can be, well, God is a just God. I can see Judas doing this and receiving a just punishment, but the man is going to be born, and then he's going to be forced to do this, and God is going to say, I did better if he hadn't been born. Well, he didn't choose to be born. You had him born. You had him do this, and now you're mad that he did it. It's like, I can understand this is decreed, but it's hard to see that. Again, so that's what you see right there. Uh, the word de written in it above is however. Woe to the man who lets this happen through his actions. Better not to be born than get caught doing these things. And the references I've got there at point one where it says uh, written, you've got Psalms 22, Isaiah 53. I'll, I'll read a little bit of Psalm 22. 
We know Psalm, well, I flip by Psalm 53 as we go by, or Isaiah 53 as we go by it. Uh, Isaiah 53, you know the verse right here. Again, we could, this would be, talk about a long study, the whole chapter. But Isaiah 53, uh, it begins in 52, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He'll be raised up and lifted up, up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations or peoples and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they ha- were, were not told, they will see. What they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? It goes on and talks about that. It says he had no beauty in verse 53 or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So there's a prophecy about where he's going to go. Psalm 22, uh, another Again, this would be a long study if we did all of these. But Psalm 22 is a whole psalm about Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22. And uh, what is interesting is Psalm 22, verse 1, begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? When it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As you know, that is one of the statements Jesus makes on the cross right at noon. So he's on the cross from like 9 until 3, 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right at noon, he screams out. And it it would appear that he is is living out Psalm 22 between 12 o'clock and 3 on the cross. It may be... He may be quoting Psalm to get him through, meaning he's lost, if you want to say, connection. He's lost fellowship with God the Father. He's suffering the wrath of God from 12, well, from 9 until 3, but from 12 o'clock until 3. Uh, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that what maybe holds him together as far as just knowing the text of Scripture and knowing the truth because he has no fellowship. He's not experiencing anything as far as hope no joy it's like he's just got the word of god my god my god why have you forsaken me verse two, oh my god i cry out by day but you do not not answer by night and i am i am not silent you are enthroned as the holy one you are the praise of israel in you our fathers put their trust they trusted and you delivered them they cried to you and were saved in you they trusted and were not disappointed in other words they trust you i'm going to trust you for this experience also And then he says in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Now he's on the cross. He he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights him. And that's exactly what they were saying, the religious leaders. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. 
Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. And that could be the Romans, that could be the Gentiles, that could be the spiritual beings, the rulers and authorities. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. He's hanging on a cross. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And that's when he says, I'm thirsty. You have laid on me the dust of death. Dogs, that would probably be Gentiles, have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. And again, what did that mean in 1000 BC? I mean, the the closest they had was, uh, as far as a, a crucifixion, was the Assyrians who were going to come and be coming and impaling people, hanging them on a stake, just like sticking their carcasses hanging on a stake stuck on the ground. There was no crucifixion, yet it talks about a crucifixion. Um, I can count my bones. People stare and gloat over me. Oh, I, I missed. Uh, okay. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. He's hanging. feel every joint. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. They did that, the Roman soldiers or the dogs that encircled them. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild ox. I will declare your name to my brothers. And it goes on. In the congregation, I will praise you. I've got to quit here. Now he's talking about what he's going to do as far as after the resurrection. And then it goes on into verse 30. It says, uh, Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will, they will proclaim his righteousness to the people yet unborn. And then, for he has done it. And that phrase right there is, it is finished. For it is finished. So, Jesus at 12 o'clock says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first verse of Psalm 22. And at 3 o'clock, it is finished. He hung, hangs his head and dies. And those are the events that take place on the cross. So these things, again, were prophesied in the past. So it's, going to pa- it's coming to pass just as it is written. However, death, pity the man, woe to the man who steps in and fulfills it. It would be better if he had not been born than to jump into this mess and get caught up in this prophecy. And again, that's, that's what has taken place. That's what Jesus says at the Last Supper to the to the disciples as they're sitting right around there he's talking about the man he hasn't identified him like says judas is the one that does it they're picking up the pieces uh and there's there's some things yet to take place next he does again we won't talk about it next week maybe mention it he stands up washes the disciples feet and then he begins the the bread and the wine talk about his body and his blood and the institution of the new covenant and then in john he goes off into a long teaching session on what it means and what he's going to be doing uh but we'll pick that all up next week as we finish we're focusing just on mark mark's two points was uh the betrayal and the institution of the new covenant which we'll see next week i'll pray and we're done father do thank you for a chance to look into these things we ask that we may accept jesus christ and the work that he's done for us that we may trust his work that he suffered for us but also that we would help proclaim his name, that we live a life of following him, not just proclaiming his name, but actually living in his righteousness and doing the things he's called us to. We do ask that we would walk in his ways and again, become the people you've called us to be at this time in history. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here.